those corporate lending shops could give you more if they if they have capital today. They could give you up to 150 to 180 percent of the value of your real estate. But what they would do in exchange is tie you up with a lot of corporate covenants. In most cases, they're going to want a board seat. Every major decision is going to go through them, and you're effectively getting a new controlling party in your company. And so. There's a real cost to getting that extra capital. So understanding your structures, understanding how these companies look at it is very critical. From the PodConnect studios, high in the Rockies at the beautiful Beaver Creek Resort, it's the Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Today on MJ Bulls, we're continuing the fifth annual Cannabis Investor Series sponsored by PodConnect's. The cannabis industry's exclusive network of cannabis podcasts that actually allows cannabis companies to advertise. Go to podconnects.com to connect to more cannabis listeners. On today's show, we're joined by Travis Goyd, the managing partner at Polaris Equity Group. Travis, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Well, I'm excited that you're here, and I'm, I'm really excited that we have a company that's lending money in this space. I think having more companies lending money is an important step towards legalization. And you're not just dabbling in cannabis. You're all in. As a private commercial mortgage REIT, you've done over 70 deals and lent over $350 million. (laughs) As I mentioned in previous years, most of our guests were cannabis VC firms. Travis, why now? is not a good time to sell off a lot of equity to fund projects. So we're the longest running commercial real estate uh, focused lender in the cannabis sector. We closed our first deal in 2016 and we're structured as a commercial mortgage REIT. And that means all of our capital is fully discretionary. Myself and my partner, Dan, sit on the credit committee. And so you get a streamlined process dealing with us. We've actually closed over 500 million in transactions since inception. And today we have about 370 million in AUM. Just a slight nuance there. Well, I think it's a big nuance, 350 to to 500 million. I'm glad you let us know that. I know now is not a good time to sell off equity, but maybe explain why. Well, because right now valuations are low across the board. I mean, when you see what's happening in the cannabis sector, cannabis, because so few investors can actually invest in cannabis, the liquidity just isn't there. So when you have S&P and broader markets selling off 20% in a year, it means that these less liquid markets have to sell off more. And so if you look at a lot of the cannabis names, you know, they're down about 40 to 60% year to date. And part of it is there are some challenges facing the industry in the U.S., specifically with 280E and specifically with just the delays and regulations rolling out in order for these companies to hit their numbers. But a lot of it is just disconnected from the underlying growth and the revenue and, and what these companies are producing versus their, their valuations today. And a lot of that has to do with the macro headwind. So if you're borrowing today, and, and for us, you have to own your real estate assets, but if you own your real estate assets, we can lend you money against those and, and, and make it less dilutive for, for you and your investors. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Sometimes cannabis companies are unhappy down the road when they realize how much equity they've given up. They would have been a lot cheaper to borrow the money. What are some things that borrowers should consider besides just interest rates? A couple of big things. You, you, you need to make sure that the, the lender out there actually has capital to deploy. In this environment, there are lenders out there who have deployed 
capital in the past, but have been unable to access capital today. And so you want to make sure that they're, they actually have dry powder to put to work and something that they could actually close and perform on your transactions. I like to say that for the longest time, because we've been doing it the longer than anybody else since 2016, my biggest competitor was a fake term sheet. So, you know, there was a lot of people out there that would write term sheets and claim they have money and they couldn't perform. And so one, dealing with a reputable lender that does what they say that they're going to do and can perform is, is, is critical. Two, dealing with a lender that is specific in the space, that understands the challenges that cannabis companies face, understand the nuances and regulation shifts. And, and there's always going to be something over the term of your loan that's going to pop up that is probably unforeseen. And that's something that when somebody, all they do is cannabis and they focus on cannabis, they can understand those issues and help you address them and, and, and deal with kind of the, you know, the growth trajectory of this space. Three, it's also understanding what are your covenant packages, what you have to adhere to on a go-forward basis. We lend against the value of the real estate. So we give typically a more conservative debt amount. So we'll lend between 60 and 75% of the value of that real estate. So the hard and soft costs that went into that. And because we're at a lower basis, we're able to offer effectively a, a very covenant light loan to our sponsors that let them have flexibility to grow their business and expand it to new markets. There are other lenders out there that have much more of a corporate lending model. And those corporate lending shops could give you more if they if they have capital today. They could give you up to 150 to 180 percent of the value of your real estate. But what they would do in exchange is tie you up with a lot of corporate covenants. In most cases, they're going to want a board seat. Every major decision is going to go through them. And you're effectively getting a new controlling party in your company. And so there's a real cost to getting that extra capital. So understanding your structures, understanding how these companies look at it is very critical. Let's talk about investing for a minute. Investing in cannabis, we all know is risky. What are some of the tools that you use to like minimize your risk? So we lend against hard assets. So if you're coming at it from an investor perspective and how we look at the space is that there's a real asset that has real value because you can generate revenue and it's a highly specific build out. I would comp cannabis assets very closely to cold storage facilities, data centers, lab spaces, other types of specialty use real estate, but that have significant demand for that use. And so from an investor perspective, in a really early stage industry, which we're in the very first innings, they tend to be very volatile. There's, you know, we saw the first round in 2018 where equity valuations ballooned, but none of these companies could make any money. And then kind of that reset going into 2019, and you kind of see the progression of the industry. It's just very volatile and illiquid space, and there's not as much kind of capital available to it. So we just think a more conservative approach is the best way to do it. And we, if you want exposure to cannabis, we think our model is one of the best ways to do it. You're senior secured on a hard collateral asset that there's real demand and use for, and you're still getting mid-teens yields for that risk. And in some cases, we have warrants and uh, some equity kickers as well on some of our loans. So you, you're in a senior secured position, making near equity-like yields, and you have some sweeteners to the upside. So it kind of insulates you a little bit about a lot of volatility you've seen in the equity space. And so even though equities have been all over the board over the last couple of years, you know, up and down, our portfolio has been performing fantastic. We're still collecting monthly interest and, and paying our investors. So our investors did very well during that time frame. 
I think I saw some pl- something that I read that your investors, on average, were receiving like fifteen percent since the time you've been doing this. Did I read that incorrectly? No, that's correct. Not only fifteen percent, but monthly distributions. So this isn't just an IRR that we solve for that is projected on on kind of mark to market. Our our borrowers pay interest every month. And as a mortgage REIT, we have to distribute the bulk of that interest to our investors. And so it's actually something you get a check every month. Now, a good portion of our investors choose to reinvest, which, again, is is another ability to help compound that. So you're getting mid-teens yields that you can ultimately compound monthly under our structure. So it's been a very popular product. A lot of our investors reinvest. We think in this situation, showing cash returns is, is very critical for this industry. Yeah, it's almost unheard of. <laughs> it's almost unheard of. And before we wrap up, I know you operate in all the legal markets. Are there any markets that you that are particularly interesting to you right now, or maybe different states that you're that you're targeting? So we think a lot of these markets are very interesting. Our goal as we grow is to have a diversified book. So we want some smaller operators as borrowers. We want some larger operators as borrowers. I'm sure you saw a week and a half ago, we closed the Terracent transaction, which was about a $46 million loan to a tier one MSO in their New Jersey and Maryland assets. So those were our first two properties in both New Jersey and Maryland. So we were very happy to kind of expand more into these East Coast markets. So we think each market has its own pros and cons as far as how it was legalized, demand structures, et cetera. So, so we price our loans accordingly and enter it. But there's not one market where we won't go in or, I mean, there's markets we're definitely more cautious on. And there's markets that we, we, we think we're a little bit more bullish on as well, kind of given the construct. So we like New Jersey, we like Maryland, and, and we'll continue to look in the Northeast and, and Southeast markets as well. That sounds great. That sounds great. I'm glad you mentioned that that transaction. I had that in my notes. I wanted to make sure we touched on that before we la- before we wrapped up the terrace and that transaction. We'll have links to Polaris Equity Group in the show notes. So if you're looking for lending, or if you're an investor, uh, just click the links in the show notes, and I'm sure somebody from Travis' team will be happy to speak with you. Travis, it's great getting to know you today. Thanks for being on the show. Like great getting to know you as well, and thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why isn't the endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.